know, these prayer meetings, uh, the, the devotionals of necessity must be uh, 10 minutes or we would never get to prayer and we preachers would consume the whole time preaching. So um, on the other hand, the challenge to it is, is that you, uh, to condense something you feel is very important to 10 minutes and really properly make the case is, is challenging, but uh, that's the way it must be. Um, I just posted in the chat there the scriptures that we'll be looking at, primarily number one and two and launching from there and I'll kind of go fast. Uh, so I just wanted to write them down. But uh, looking, first of all, at Matthew 16, 6, where Jesus says, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And you see the context there in the passage. They didn't know what he was talking about, thought he was talking about bread. And uh, of course, he was talking about the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And what I want to focus on today is the Sadducees, particularly in the leaven of the Sadducees because they don't get as much attention from us. The Pharisees do. Um, we're, we're on the alert to the Pharisees and self-righteousness and being whitewashed tombs and not practicing what we preach and inventing things not in the scripture and coming up with traditions that we hold to more tightly than the scripture itself. But the Sadducees are this group of liberals and for that reason we don't really think they apply to us i think sometimes because we're not liberal um but it's a little more complicated than that um and if you're interested i have a, a booklet that i did on this subject and i can send it as a file as well to you if it's something of interest to you where i look into it a little more closely each of these two groups and what the danger is of the leaven of each but uh, the Sadducees and their leaven is also something we are told to beware of, not just the Pharisees. And essentially when it comes down to it with them is a denial of the spirit world and of the supernatural. And like I say, we're not the, you know, the liberal type that deny the miracles of Jesus and deny the virgin birth, and deny the resurrection and, and all of those things. And so we think, well, that's, that's just for the the liberal mainline churches that do those sorts of things, they're the Sadducees. But uh, what I would suggest to you is that there is a practical atheism that can afflict us. That is the leaven of the Sadducees where yes, in our doctrinal statement, we acknowledge the devil and we confess that he's real. And we confess that demons are real. Uh, we just don't know of any situation and where we've ever confronted it. And the premise that I'm operating off of is that we've probably confronted it more often than we know. Um, you think about the, the, the Sadducees, uh, Jesus did a lot of exorcisms in the New Testament. And just as the Sadducees followed him around and hounded him, um, the Sadducees were surely present at a number of those occasions. At a minimum, they would have heard of all the exorcisms that he did. And I wonder what their spin was on that since they didn't believe in spirits, they didn't believe in angels, they didn't believe in the resurrection of the body, they didn't believe in eternal life. Just you're dead and then that's it. Um, so they were really kind of atheists in many ways who simultaneously believe there's a God. So go figure that one out. But uh, what did they, what spin did they put on these, these exorcisms? They, they probably said something like people would today. Oh, that's just, you know, people are deceived and they, they think they've got something and Jesus is this, 
you know, charismatic leader who has a power over their mind and convinces them that he's done something for them. And real reality is probably just chemistry or something going on in their body. Um, you know, today everything would be explained in psychological categories. You've got this syndrome, you've got that disease, you've got whatever, it's an imbalance here and it's an imbalance there. Um, so they would just explain it away by natural causes. And I think there's a tendency to do that today as well. And if you think about it, if, if the Sadducees are promoting false teaching every bit as much as the Pharisees are, then where did the false teaching come from? Well, it would have come from the devil himself. Uh, false teaching is from the father of lies and that he's the father of all false teaching. So the source of that teaching that tends to deny the spirit realm, even Satan himself and demons would come from the devil himself. Um, he has a vested interest in convincing people that he's not real and that demons aren't real and that angels aren't real and so on. It is in his interest. He has a, uh, it plays into his hands. And he can use the opposite uh, extreme where there is a fixation on him and on demons and so forth uh, as well. He can use that to promote all kinds of error, but he, he uses this as well, a complete denial. So when we look with that in mind, look at then Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. This is that passage, of course, where Paul is talking about spiritual warfare and the armor of God. And in verse 10, he says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Um, and the implied message there is not in the strength of our might, not standing in our own strength, but in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. So we know that verse. We, we believe it in to some degree. It's in our doctrinal statement. It's it's a, the right theological compartment on our bookshelf. Uh, but do we live as though we believed it, as though we really thought that our problems and our struggle and our battle is not against people and other human beings, but against spiritual forces of evil? That the problems in our marriage, the problems with our children, the problems in our churches, uh, the problems with respect to a lack of revival, a lack of interest in revival, a lack of attendance at church prayer meetings, a lack of vibrancy in prayers, our own personal laziness with respect to prayer, uh, our tendency to neglect it, the problems in the world and the world political scene, uh, transgenderism, homosexuality, abortion, um, what goes on in schools, uh, everywhere, everything, that our problem is, is not with people per se um, in a simplistic way, 
yes, there are people carrying these things out and who are actively involved in lies and in deception and so forth. But behind them lies spiritual forces that are using them. With that in mind, think of Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. We usually come to this passage and my tendency is to focus on our spiritual condition before we are reborn that it says we're dead in trespasses and sins. But there's this phrase in here that we that we also need to pay attention to. Uh, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. So there's this spirit, the evil spirit, connected with the prince of the Tharvir, who's working in the sons of disobedience. So every unbeliever that there is and that you know, the devil is working in them. And he, he's not everywhere at once. He's not omnipresent. So he has to be working in them uh, in some sense through demonic activity. I'm not saying everyone's demon-possessed. I'm just saying that there is this contact. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So we were like that too, likewise affected, likewise controlled by evil spirits. And one of the manifestations of that was living in the lust of flesh and the desires of the flesh and mind. First John 4, 1 through 3, John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. But you know, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. So, of course, we're looking at a human being when you're looking at a false prophet, and he's talking, but John treats this as spirits. There's a spirit that does this, and it's of the Antichrist using a false prophet and speaking through them. First uh, Timothy 4, 1 through 3, but the spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience, as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. So again, you have false teachers being the instruments that we hear, but behind them is deceitful spirits and demons who are actually giving this doctrine to their minds. Uh, when Jesus said to Peter in Matthew 16, get behind me, Satan, I think that's an interesting thing. You are stumbling block to me, for you're not setting your mind on God's interest, but man. You think back to the temptation time where Jesus was in the wilderness with Satan, and Satan departed from him after the at the end, and it says he left him until a more opportune time. When was that next opportune time? don't know but it could have been right here where peter is unwittingly trying to convince jesus not to embrace the via dolorosa not to go to the cross 
And of course, it's his mission to go to the cross. So Satan actually does not want him to go to the cross. And he has got this idea into Peter's mind. And Peter is an unwitting mouthpiece for what Satan is actually trying to get Jesus to buy into. Um, finally, one more, 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 8. Uh, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, Paul speaking here, his transport to heaven and what he saw and heard there, for this reason to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. I, I don't have time to make the case there that Paul is speaking literally, I believe, not metaphorically, when he says a messenger of Satan is the behind that thorn in the flesh. Whatever the thorn in the flesh was for him, and I, I do believe it was something in his physical body, something that caused him a lot of pain, the instrumental cause of it was a messenger or angel, the word was angelos, of Satan to torment him. So with that in mind, what does this have to do with prayer and prayer for revival? Uh, well, prayer is spiritual warfare. It's one of the activities mentioned in Ephesians 6. So it's connected. Um, secondly, think about the woman who was bent over for 18 years because she had an evil spirit. Um, a chiropractor wouldn't have helped her. Uh, he couldn't have helped her. Uh, the problem was in the spiritual realm and until she was rid of the evil spirit she would not get better and in the same way i think until we realize and recognize that we're dealing with satan with evil spirits under his command we're not going to get anywhere why because when you don't understand the real problem you don't ever usually arrive at the real solution and you tend to employ remedies that are suited to the erroneous diagnosis of the problem that we think we're facing. Thinking of it another way, can you think of a war in the history of the world in which a lack of information concerning the enemy was considered an asset? Intelligent prayer is to be preferred above ignorant prayer, prayer by which we understand what we're up against and understand what and whom we're dealing with. And when we know who we're dealing with and what we're up against, we tend to pray differently and think differently. Our expressions may change. Our prayers may become more specific and more targeted. There may be certain ways of praying that we drop altogether as, as useless that are born out of ignorance. Um, if the enemy that we're dealing with is beyond our power to manage or fix or cure, by human methodologies, then we'll be more inclined to cry out to God in desperation. If you think about a person who is in serious trouble and he has no hope in himself or any other human means or method, then he cries help in a very different way than a person who sees himself as only mildly in trouble. Um, who may dutifully call for help to speed up the process if God is so inclined to help him speed it up, but who's really not that desperate. Uh, I think there is an inverse, inversely proportionate relationship between trust in self and trust in Christ, so that the more we trust 
in self, the less we trust in Christ and vice versa. And if we're looking at one who simply cannot be handled apart from the stronger man who would come in to bind the strong man, um, then we will be less inclined to trust ourselves and more in Christ and call on him. So I know that's a lot to, to chew on, but uh, Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Sadducees and the denial of the spiritual realm and the supernatural that we would look past the human face in front of us uh, and the eyes with eyes of faith to see that there are evil spirits that we're dealing with, not just flesh and blood, and that we cannot hope to employ fleshly weapons against spiritual enemies. I hope that is of some benefit and help as we go to prayer this morning. Thank you.